Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gals of Geekdom podcast, the show that should have a slogan attached to it, but for some reason, we fucking don't. I'm Jazzy. I swear a lot, as you can hear, and I'm joined once again by one of my uh, lovely co-hosts, Crystal. Crystal. Hi. And re- and returning as a guest for today is... The Revenge of Lucia. I, I don't know why I'm getting revenge. Lu- can't Lucia, Lucia, Lucia Lobos <laughs> Via Rising, Revengeance. <laughs> You guys were so lovely to me next time. Last time I was here. I don't know why I, I want revenge. I guess revenge that I wasn't here every day. <laughs> and speaking of revenge, I don't even have a good segue for this. It's the third <laughs> Fast and Furious movie time. Oh, um, yes. And I wanted to oh, get right into this because I have so little to say about this next one. Also, before we start that, I wanted to mention that the last time that you were on, Lucia, um, I was having teeth pulled out of my face. So it's nice to actually get to talk to you today. Uh, absolutely. I actually, I was just realizing that um, one of the co-hosts is not here again. So I guess never can I have the complete gals trifecta when I'm on. It will. The triforce happen. of gals. The triforce of gals. Damn, I got to collect them all. <laughs> I, I now want a picture that's the Triforce with each of our fucking profile pictures just photoshopped into one. Okay, but who would be each one? Um, well, I'd be Power since I'm angry and I swear a lot, so I think that'd be fitting. Legit, mm-hmm. legit, I can see it. But also you're passionate and you fight for your friends, so. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Lizzie would be, I'm going to say Lizzie is Wisdom and uh, Crystal is Courage. I get that vibe. I definitely get strong uh, Courage Triforce vibes from Crystal. And I could definitely see strong Wisdom vibes from Lizzie. I vibe with that. I approve. I like that, actually. Speaking of threes, there we go. Now it's a good segue. (laughs) That is an incredible segue. Let's get into that. So as people who have listened to the last two episodes know, I've been watching each week. I've been watching a Fast and Furious movie. Um, and talking about it. This is my first time with the franchise, so all of my reactions have been fresh. To give you a quick recap of what I thought of the previous two movies in this little marathon, first um, movie, The Fast and the Furious, I thought was all right. It had its moments, but it was also kind of bad in areas, but also the unintentional gay vibes between Vin Diesel and Paul Walker were great, so I can't say that it was a complete waste of time. Arguably unintentional. Arguably. And then Too Fast, Too Furious, I thought was an idiotically incomprehensible good time. And I had even more fun with it and even more allegedly unintentional gay vibes between Paul Walker and Tyrese Gibson. (laughs) So now we are at the third one, which has none of the characters from the from the first two. It's a completely new cast. And I'm and I was hoping for something good. Spoiler alert. I fucking didn't like it. So what's the third one called again? Tokyo Drift. Okay, so that is the Tokyo Drift one. Yes, there is plenty of Tokyo, and good God, way too much fucking drifting. <laughs> Need a half, little less drifting. Half okay. of this, no, 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 half of this movie is montages of people fucking drifting. Yes, it is. It is. Like, See, every uh, other scene, I'm seeing a fucking car drift. <laughs> like, so as, the- as the podcast's resident expert on the Fast and the Furious franchise, uh... <laughs> It's just drifting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's by far my least entry, favorite entry in the series. Even though I do know it has some sort of a following, maybe because right. there setting. were there were some people mad. I ranked it last on my ranking so far. So I I, I mean I I agree with you because I think the lead character is such a bland, boring white dude. 
The only part with the main character I liked is that there was a scene where he was coming face to face with this rival character, and like the two get face to face up close to each uh, each other, and the way the camera is whooshing around them, I thought they were gonna fucking smooch. <laughs> Like, I even posted a video because I needed to do this. I posted a video of me watching the scene, and I was like, kiss! Kiss! They should have. It would have made it way better. It would have made the movie. It would have made the movie the best of the three, in my opinion. No lie. But... <laughs> so I have a question about Tokyo Drift. So um, I never saw that movie when it came out, uh, even though I enjoyed the first Fast and the Furious, and I love the title, Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, you might remember when I was writing that Avatar, like, funny thing about Sokka coming up with a play series that he wants to make about him and Zuko. It's, like, <laughs> two thieves, too furious, and then it was, like, even more furious, sir. Like, yeah, too, too Fast, Too Furious is, like, the best fucking sequel title ever. Uh, but, um... I, I remember the only thing I heard about Tokyo Drift, which it was kind of the reason I didn't see it, because no one really talked about it like they talked about the others, was people saying that Tokyo Drift sounded like an STD. <laughs> and that has never left my mind. And so anytime I think of the title Tokyo Drift, I just think of like, ugh, that sounds like a yucky STD. I don't even know who said this to me way back <laughs> in the before times, but like it has never left me. I don't even know if they said it to me or if I overheard it, but it has never <laughs> left me. <laughs> but um, Like an STD. No. Like an STD. <laughs> Here's the disappointing thing about Tokyo Drift, aside from it being an STD. Um, the disappointing thing is you have a whole change of setting to fucking Tokyo, which is like one of my favorite locations ever. It's one of the best yeah. locations for me that you can put a film in. I am always happy when I see Tokyo as a setting in a movie. Um, and you have a, a largely um, a largely Japanese cast, which great. Why are we focusing on this bland ass white boy the entire film? Studio <laughs> mandate. Well, guaranteed 100% guaranteed the studio was like sure you yeah people color it doesn't it, matter that our actor has no name to him <laughs> like, yeah, but no. he's white he'll sell tickets I think you're right about the studio mandate considering who directed this movie is Justin Lin which is right, his now, first step into the series which is fascinating because he is the creative drive behind the rest of the series Right, and I will say, his direction was fine. I have no issue with how he directed the movie. Like, yeah, he did yeah. fine with what he was given. I have no issues there. The problem is, he was given a piece of shit to work with. <laughs> it's it's really interesting when movies kind of go wrong like this. Um, it, it, that we tend to have, like, as a fandom, this tendency to, like, blame one person. Like, oh, blame the actor, or blame the director, or attack whoever. And it's, like, it shows such an ignorance for how movies are actually made. <laughs> mm. Like, there are cases where it is a person fucking up over and over. Like, The Last Airbender was, in large part, M. Night Shyamalan just being egotistical and causing all sorts of... I, I mean, I could talk about some insider but, stuff like that but, but there's like, also a large amount of problems that were due to the studio as well. Yeah. So it's like... Exactly. And sometimes, like, the directors aren't the ones at fault. Like, sometimes you're just struggling to make something work with the demands being placed on you. And I would fully believe that, um, considering the director's dedication to putting Asian American actors in the movie in a time when they were being even more underrepresented than they are now, 
I, I bet he was not happy about their mandates about stuff like, well, our main character still got to be Blando McMeonies. So like, Especially since the main character, as well as the love interest, who's also not um, Asian, they are easily the worst characters in the movie. Like, like everyone else, I actually like the sporting cast of this movie quite a bit. Yeah. Like, Bow Wow plays a character named Twinkie, which made me laugh my fucking ass off when I first heard the name. Bow Wow plays a <laughs> character I, named Twinkie. That's right, in a series that is so that is try, that tries so hard to be straight and is so fucking gay, they have a character named Twinkie, and he and doesn't have a gay he does not have a gay moment in this movie, which I am so bitter about. That whole <laughs> sentence just sounds so fake. Bow Wow plays a character named Twinkie. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. Imagine saying that <laughs> sentence like 40 years from now, people being like, what? <laughs> what? They're, like. <laughs> this movie is pretty much like these movies are so like early to mid two thousands, and I kind of oh, love that about them. <laughs> they very much are. You're watching the ones that are very much of the time. You know, right. like <laughs> I will say though, as much as I bitch, they did have one character that I liked, and I am happy to hear that he's in more movies, and that's um uh, uh Han. Like he is the yeah. best fucking character in the movie, oh. and I'm happy he's in others. So. <laughs> You you're yeah. giving me a chance to hush gush about Han, one of my favorite characters in the entire franchise. Who essentially okay, so let's get some Fast and Furious lore out of the way, and I won't spoil anything. But like I mentioned previously, this film is I would say, and I think large part to Justin Lin becomes a central focus for a lot of the later sequels in terms of one scene that happens. Um, and the fact that every sequel after this is up until I would say seven is set before, uh, Tokyo right. Drift. Right. So, I'm aware that four five and six are like all take place before the third one. So, yeah, which they don't make it really obvious about. They just kind of do it, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's even weirder when you see like the later films have more modern technology than Tokyo Drift does. I always love when films do that, like how in Jigsaw there was the twist that half the movie took place before Saw 1, and yet Jigsaw is using fucking flat-screen TVs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. Who in Tokyo Drift was Patient Zero? Patient Zero. Like, who brought the STD to the movie? Like, who had it? Who was Patient The Zero? main character, because it's he's the so main character. Fu- the main oh, character is a fucking STD. That's bold. That's bold to make your plague movie with the main character being Patient Zero. You know what? I, I changed my mind. I want to watch Tokyo Drift. I'm ready. I'm ready it's, for this 28 days later. Where the, the zombie. I didn't, I didn't hate the experience is the thing. Like, I didn't hate this movie. I just did not like it. Okay, yeah. let's, watch, let's watch it again, and this time, let's let's pretend that this is, like, a 28 days later, 20 we- 28 weeks later, sort of, like, zombie film, and, like, the lead character is so bland because he has this virus, and as the movie gets worse, it's because everyone's getting infected. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, and it's... <laughs> Chart say, the progression of this plague. <laughs> okay, you might just have made this movie better for me, no one. Especially <laughs> since the movie ends with Vin Diesel, so clearly he was the yeah, hidden hero the whole time. So he, he made like, the vaccine. He was like, yeah. I'm also a scientist. 
No, it was so good. It was so good. Like, that scene was, like, the best part because it was like, you know, oh, hey, Blandy McBlanderson, this character guy wants to talk to you. He said Han was family. And it's like, wait, family. Oh, shit, it's Vin Diesel, isn't it? And I was just... Yeah, they gave gave him a cameo at the end. I just jumped for joy when that happened because it was, like, one of the few times in this movie where I was legitimately happy. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like, it's Vin, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like just as soon as they said family, I knew it was fucking Vin Diesel, and I was so happy. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It had good aspects. I don't regret watching it. I probably won't watch it again unless I'm doing another one of these fucking marathons, but... The well, great thing is that uh, Justin Lin gets better at this. Like, uh, like, he gets more creative control, I think. So, you know... Sorry, spread his directive wings. Yes, you're. Yeah, he must. He was still, uh, I think, a very new director when he got that opportunity to to take over a franchise on the third entry where it was a different cast. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Yeah, the problem is like the main characters are bland. The supporting cast is fine, but they're not nearly strong enough to make this work. There's not an. There's only like that. Aside from that one scene, the unintentional gay vibes are just fucking gone from this one. Which boo. You're like, that's why I'm here, boo. This is the, like, like, I finally found my reason to watch these fucking movies once I got to the second one and I saw what they were doing, and then you got rid of it. This was an I attack see. on me personally. So, so the Tokyo Drift virus may have been created in the lab to try to curb awkward gay scenes. I see. Oh, no. Fucking straight people. And at the end, Vin Diesel defeats it because he says, hey, queer people are family. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's just, it's, uh, but yeah, I don't, but yeah, I don't regret watching it. I I think I gave it around like a three or a four when I scored it on like Letterboxd or whatever the fuck I was using, but. Hey, that's, that's better than uh, the original Justice League. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, I gave that a one. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh. I am interested to see how the fourth one goes, considering I've seen nothing but negativity towards this one. So I'm fascinated if I'm going to like this one more or less than Tokyo Drift, which I already wasn't too big on. Wait, you you saw more negativity toward the fourth one? Yeah, the fourth one is considered the worst one generally by, uh, by critics and even like general fans of the franchise. So... Like I actually fo- don't think it's that bad. I like it more than I like it more than um, Tokyo Drift I mean, personally. I mean, at least at least Paul Walker and Vin Diesel are back this time, yeah. and not just That's one. I so like so I can enjoy the gay vibes between the two, and then cry when I watch Furious Seven. So okay, we'll can I can I suggest a pitch for the future? Once yeah. you're done with this marathon, can we go back and do the real time fandom thing? of turning off all of the audio and a bunch of our friends picking characters and we just dub over them like in, in real I would time. so be up for <laughs> I would so I would so be up for real time fan dub stuff. You you were a part of that, weren't you? I, I was one of the original creators, yeah. Right. I'm in I episode just, one. I just I just found that out the other day and I wanted to talk to you about it. It's like you are in real time fan <laughs> You will you will soon come to learn that I am in many of the things or help to make many of the things you loved in your childhood because I'm old. Well, you have to understand <laughs> that I only started watching real-time fan dubs when they did the games ones over on SnapCube, so. Yeah, because pennies will be us. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, yeah, I enjoy I enjoy it. Like it's it's good it's good stuff. So. What was the whole thing about Shadow being obsessed with Fortnite? Like twisted yeah, tilted towers. Yeah, and the fact. Yeah. Yeah, the like Chase Young as Mephilus was the funniest fucking thing because Amazing. he took a char- he took a character that was kind of bland in the original that only had Dan Green's magnificent voice as a saving grace and turned him into the best fucking character. <laughs> but yeah, I, I appreciate you guys telling me all about uh, Tokyo Drift. This is a very yeah. important public service announcement. I think <laughs> I'm glad the audience knows. I actually. I, I love doing this now because I'm just naming each episode after the Fast and Furious movies. I don't know if you noticed that. So, like, the last, I think it was, like, the, uh, I don't remember exactly what I named the first one, but I think it was, like, Two Gals, Two Geekiest for the last one. Wait, so what's this one going to be called? Uh, Lobosphere Drift? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's That 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 might be it. Lobo-O Drift? Lobo. <laughs> and well, then, yeah. like oh, that. by the way, I just want to say for the next one, I am going to go on a bitch fest about the title of the fourth one when we get to it because oh, hey! Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah it's just, just Fast called Fast and Furious, which fuck off with that title. That is not oh, a good call it. Call it Lokio Drift. Loki, yes. Yeah, yeah. Lokio Drift. Yeah, and I guess you better talk about Loki for a hot second. I like Loki. There we go. The okay. character of the show. Yes. Okay. Good. Same. I, I actually, I love Loki from Norse mythology. Um, and I always have. And so. Oh, so you're one of those hipsters. Oh, I liked Loki before he was in the Marvel movie. Loki was always was... cool. All right. But I, he was always one of my favorite. I've always loved like trickster gods. Um, and so when I got into like Marvel stuff, I immediately gravitated towards Loki from Thor as well, despite not really liking the Thor movies too much until the third one. Um, by not too much, I mean not at all. So, like, I'm totally cool with this being Lokio Drift. I constantly take those which Marvel character quizzes are you, and I get Loki, so, like, you know. Okay, I'll call it the gals <laughs> and the geekiest Lokio Drift. All right, yeah. I'm ready. Like, Lokio <laughs> sounds like, um, sounds like Lyoko, as in Code, Code Lyoko, which is a show I watched long ago, so... <laughs> Now yeah. I'm having nostalgic flashbacks and it's all and remember and remembering the character's giant fucking foreheads. And I was about to say great. all of us with giant foreheads. Yes. No, like Crystal, have you do you know of Code Lyoko? The name. I don't know anything. Okay, so other like, than that. If you look up the characters in Code Lyoko, they have like huge fucking foreheads. Like it's not even funny. It's like the forehead is like seventy-five percent of their face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I remember it was a good series and the theme song was fucking badass, but <laughs> but those foreheads. Yep. They're five heads. Yeah, pretty much. Like if you try face palming, you're just gonna slap yourself in the forehead as one of these characters. <laughs> Like, it tried to do, like, an anime inspiration art style, but it looks so odd. Which is funny, because odd is the name of one of the characters. (laughs) (laughs) It all ties together. Speaking of of geeky things, I figured the reason you guys invited me might have something to do with the recent bomb DC dropped. And I did not talk about DC as much as might have been expected last time. 
I was here. So I thought perhaps you wanted me to correct me for uh, drifting away, as it were. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is, there it is. Go ahead. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, all right. Uh, so recently, DC announced that Tim Drake is bisexual. Yay, for gay. This has been met with several reactions, but three main ones. One of them is, this sucks. Why make someone gay? I hate it. No gay, no brown, just white and straight. Hate. So bad. SJW. Obama. Bad. Mm-hmm. I, just, um, I just threw in Obama. Because <laughs> it's probably his fault. Thanks, Obama. I just felt like I listened to like one of their podcasts right now. <laughs> Excuse me. This was way better articulated than anything from Yellow Flash. Oh, sure. It was yeah. way more interesting to listen to. How dare you? No, um, it was way better. Uh, the second reaction I've seen is, Yas, Queen, hooray, by representation. Awesome. Mm-hmm. LGBT. Uh, our our gay boy Tim's hello bison jokes with uh, Aang saying where's my bison and they go get it this is Bruce looking for Tim um, <laughs> took me a second when I first saw it and I was like oh alright I get it yep and then the third reaction is um, this is terrible and horrible why would you do this uh, but from the left also also fuck Obama unrelated we just don't like him because he's a lib like I don't read enough comics to see this as <laughs> in, like a bad thing so I'm like, just from my point of view, as someone who just knows what you told me about DC, my immediate reaction was, okay, this is cool, but are they going to stick with it? Yeah, so obviously I don't entertain the opinions of people who are like, I just hate gay people or brown people or whatever, because bigotry is way past uncool and also just kind of boring at this point like I'm over it like you got to say something really offensive at this point I'm dead inside and I feel nothing so like (laughs) (laughs) like, hey we we found our we found our um you know the mantra for the show now yeah I'm dead inside and I feel nothing yeah (laughs) uh so like it's just not even worth the time to deal with these little fucking culture warriors whatever um the second reaction of like this elated uh, feeling I completely understand like why wouldn't you like people have wanted an openly queer uh, Robin forever and um, there's a perception that DC doesn't have that many queer characters uh, this perception is not true but it's DC's fault that people have that perception because DC does have queer characters they just don't freaking use them so nobody <laughs> knows just like they do have people of color they just don't use them so it gives an impression um that you know comics are a lot less diverse than they are and it it comes from this weird place of dc being like well we only want to use the popular characters in movies and adaptations and stuff because like you know movies are expensive and we want to make money but the dumb thing is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because most people don't read comics they learn about characters through movies and shows and stuff. So if you don't put them in the movies and shows, people won't know about them to like them. I mean, no one gave a crap about Iron Man except the geekiest geek boys until the movie, right? And that's not an offense to Iron Man fans. He just was not this, like, well-known character until the movie. And to turn around now and have people be like, well, Iron Man's, like, a big character. Why would they make one about this random black or Asian character? And it's like, Iron Man was nothing until the movie to most people. He was very niche. 
Like, if you make movies about these other characters, they will get popular. Like, that's how it works. But, you know, whatever. And then the third reaction, which I think is the most complex one, and I wouldn't say I'm completely in that third camp, but it is the place I'd probably find myself dipping into. A feeling of frustration that DC has done this, but not because we don't want gay representation, but rather the way in which DC has done it. I should say queer representation, um, but like the way that DC has done it raises red flags for us. Um, and this is why I think you see like a lot of people who like these characters but aren't like longtime comic readers are super psyched. And then you see all these people who are longtime comic readers and love these characters are super like uh, about it. <laughs> and I think there's been a little bit of confusion with people being like, why aren't you happy, though? Like, you you are usually for diversity and representation. Why aren't you guys happy? And because um, I'm sure you guys have seen some some of our other like VA friends and stuff being kind of like uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. And the reasons why is because of this, to say it simply for a complicated situation as best as I can simplify it. Tim Drake, to say that he has never shown any signs that he might be attracted to men is not strictly true. Tim Drake has for years been different from his brothers. Like he's always been different to the point that like, while Dick and Jason have been big disasters of falling into bed with just about everyone to the point that it's ruining their lives at times. Um, and Bruce himself is kind of a sucker for badass women in cat suits, both Talia and Selena and Nocturna sometimes also included in that. Um, Tim isn't like that. Uh, Tim has had plenty of women that like him. Women throw themselves at Tim. But if you've ever seen the memes about Tim being a perpetual virgin or the goodest boy or the most innocent cinnamon roll, it's because... Even as early as Nightfall, when he has this really cute high school girlfriend named Ari, because he's in high school still, Ariana, she was by Ari for short, there's this scene that I think encapsulates it. He's alone at home in a mansion. No one's around, by himself. And he's lonely. So he calls his girlfriend, who's gorgeous and sweet, by the way, and tells her he's lonely. And she hasn't seen him. He's been MIA for a while. So she's like, do you want me to come over there and keep you company? All right, girls. Like, the guy that you're dating says, I'm alone, there's no parents, and I'm lonely. And your first reaction is like, mm, can I come over? Like, come on. It's clear what she's implying, right? Very clear. What do you <laughs> think this, this high school boy does in response? He says, no thanks, Ari, I'm good. <laughs> <Hangs up>. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he's a bad person, because Tim is a sweet boy. I just think he literally, it did not even occur to him. Did not even occur to him. <laughs> and that's not a common reaction for a hormonal high school boy, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, because there mm. isn't. But it's not common, right? right. Um, and it's definitely not the reaction Dick or Jason would have had. And things like this repeat for Tim repeatedly. Even when he likes someone, like... Stephanie, who's his longest, longest running love interest and girlfriend he's had. The way he talks about Stephanie being attracted to her, liking her, even having any sort of like physical uh, feelings for her is still very tame and very different from how 
Dick and Jason or Bruce tend to talk about or think about women, not saying that they're disrespectful or anything, just that it's different. And the person that I think he he has one of the biggest, like, outright, I'm thinking about sex with her characters he has with is Tamara Fox. And he's le- he's of age by this point, right? And they're in a hotel room because the news media has confused it and thinks that they're engaged. And so they're kind of letting the fake engagement play out as a cover for something else. It's a complicated story. It doesn't matter. But the point is they're fake engaged. So they're alone in a hotel room and she likes him. She's already kissed him a couple times. She's made it clear she's interested in him and he's clearly interested in her. And he has this thought about how like he's really glad that he got two rooms because of the kind of thoughts he's having about her. This is about as sexual as Tim Drake gets. Except why does he say this? Like, there's nobody stopping him. She's into it. She wants it. They're both adults. Like, literally nothing is, no one else is there. They're in a hotel room. And he's like, man, good thing I got two rooms. Because, whew, kind of feelings I'm having. Like, you're just saying, like, is this like a Sonic the Hedgehog after school? Like, don't have sex, kids. Like, Tim, what? <laughs> Jason, we've already gotten that girl pregnant. Like, and you're just sitting there like, man, what a close one. Good thing I thought ahead. You're like, why is it a good thing, Tim? (laughs) I bet Tamara does not agree (laughs) that it's a good thing. Um, But in his mind, this made sense. So I think it kind of establishes a pattern for us that I've always felt made a good argument that Tim is more like asexual or demisexual. Where like, he doesn't have as much of a drive as his brothers or Bruce or some other men might. And when he does have those sorts of feelings, it's only to people he's already established an emotional bond with. He doesn't tend to just look at a girl and be like, wow, she's hot. Like some of the others, like someone he's bonded with. And when people talk about Tim's relationship with men, the guy he's been closest to in this way, you know, not in a familial way is Connor who's Superboy. Tim and Connor were so close that when Connor died, don't worry, he came back to life. It's comics. They didn't bury your days. Everybody <laughs> dies and comes back. I promise. It's like, it's like a rite of passage at this point. Right. Um, <laughs> like, are you really a comic book character if you haven't died and was written yeah. by back to life? <laughs> so many of the Robins have died at this point that they literally, it's a joke now where they're like dead Robins only club. Like, because three out of four of the boy Robins have died and then Dick Grayson's like I faked my death they're like fuck you it doesn't count like (laughs) but like anyway so when Connor dies Tim reacts to losing Connor about the same way as he reacted to when Stephanie died don't worry she also came back it's comics um he talks about them very similarly and the feelings of loss very similarly um and they're both dead at the same time at one point um when this happens, he starts going out with Wonder Girl briefly because Wonder Girl was also close friends with Connor, Superboy. And um, it doesn't last because Tim comes to the conclusion that he doesn't actually feel about her that way and that they were both just mourning Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting, right? Like here he's lost his girlfriend and his best friend, and he hooks up with a, well, not really hooks up, hooks up, because he doesn't go all the way, because it's Tim, but he he gets with this girl, um, because he's missing their mutual friend, Connor, and he thinks of Connor about the same as he thinks of Stephanie. Hmm. I think that's kind of implying something, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, and here's where the frustration for the fans came. Comics love to do things without consequence. They love to do things without having to dedicate to it when they can. Like when Rose Wilson, who, by the way, one time was naked on top of Tim in his bed and Tim went, what's this about, Rose? Because Tim Drake is beautiful ace boy. My God, Tim, my darling. I don't know why, but I'm getting reminded of the room with every scene of Drake Sestero <laughs> going, what's this about? What's this about, Rose? She's like clearly on him like, hey, what up, boy? And he's like, have you been drinking? I'm like, Tim, what do you think? You think she just got into the wrong bed? Like, what do you think is happening right now? But anyway, that's that's good as boy, Tim. Um, like when Rose Wilson was married briefly and they wanted to kill off the husband and they wanted the pathos of Deathstroke killing her husband but they didn't want to do it because they didn't want Deathstroke to have to suffer that consequence that Rose Wilson would probably never want to trust or be with her dad again and clearly they weren't ready to do that so they were like oh well Deathstroke from an alternate universe did it so like it doesn't we still get the pathos of like dad how could you but it doesn't technically count right like in such comics like okay comics all right you had your cake and ate it too because our Deathstroke didn't really do it and that's what this feels like with the boy they've put Tim with because as fan longtime fans of Tim and many of whom have shipped him with Connor said if they wanted to set him up with a boy Connor is the most obvious candidate. He's there. Just put them together. Why instead did DC choose this random made up new character who we know nothing. I mean, know that they say that he's Tim's longtime friend for anyone who hadn't read comics and assumed that this was true. I'm sorry to tell you this character in anything I've ever read, does not exist before this. He's not actually, like, they're just retroactively saying... We poofed your boyfriend! Yeah. So that's already not a good sign. But on top of it, they made no effort to, like, develop this character or build him up. And his name is Bernard. And I hate to say this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to anyone named Bernard. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your name. Just that comic books tend to name important characters cool sounding names. And I'm sorry, but Bernard is not a cool name. I'm sorry. Apologies to all our Bernard named viewers Yeah, I'm everywhere. sorry. I'm sure you're lovely people, but like you mean all all one of them, maybe? All one of them. <laughs> they're like, just gonna cry. They're just gonna write a mean comment on Twitter going, cancel Lucia. <laughs> she hates Bernards. Hashtag not all Bernards. But like you know uh, what I mean? Like characters tend to have names like Silver St. Cloud or uh Selena Kyle, Talia Al Ghul, freaking Coriander in the case of Starfire, or or Artemis. Or Lucia Lobos Villa. You know, all of these are real love interests from the Batman comics. Yeah, that was you one. Know, even boring civilian ones like Silver St. Cloud, who I actually really like, even though she's kind of a boring civilian. Um, like, her name is Silver fucking St. Cloud. Like, you're going to remember. It's a comic book name. This kid's name is just Bernard. Like, that's, or Bernard. I don't even know how you say it. Bernard is how I would pronounce it. That's his name. Um, oh shit, our viewer named Bernard is gonna get pissed too. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you, Bernard is a family name with a long history of whatever. So. My great grandfather was named Bernard. I'm sorry about your case of Tokyo Drift, Bernard. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway um, so, like, it's. Oh, I should get that checked out. Yeah, right. There's this sentiment that, like, if this character was someone DC was actually interested in having Tim be with, 
and not just we'll make him show up really quick for five seconds. And then whenever we're done getting all the accolades and, and attention and made boosted our sales, we'll just either quietly write him off or just stop seeing him. So you guys have to wonder whatever happened to him, which happens a lot. They do this with a lot of characters, even ones they shouldn't. Um, or they'll kill him off in a horrible way so that Tim Drake is so like messed up by it that they can excuse him not dating a boy again because oh it was just so traumatic which is the worst scenario anyone is fearing is that they'll do that (laughs) they've done shit like this in comics so i would not be surprised so like i'm hoping that they're not going for that route but considering that last we saw tim he was in a happy relationship with stephanie brown i do not ship those two i do not like them together so i'm not like i'm standing for them but a lot of people are invested in them they've been together a long time and last we saw, they were in a happy, healthy, they fixed things up in their relationship. Relationship. We have not seen them break up. We haven't even seen that there was any intimation that there was something wrong. So for them to just suddenly plop Tim down and go, ah, oh, gonna go see my bestest longtime friend, Bernard, who's totally real. And you guys just pretend that you've known about him the whole time. Hey, Bernard, what's up? And then, then they don't even get to finish the date because something bad happens and then Bernard's like, hey, Robin, tell Tim Drake I wish we finished our date. And then Tim Drake's like, ooh, ooh, bless you. I guess it was a date. And then goes to Bernard's house. And he's like, hey, Bernard, what's up? And Bernard's like, hey, Tim, instead of DC having to write you coming to grips with your feelings about men, we're just going to say that it's the opposite. And you help Bernard feel about or be okay with how he feels. That way we don't have to write any of it. You want to go on a date? And Tim's like, yeah, let's go on another date. And that's that's what we have so far. And those kind of red flags are the reason some people are very cynical about it and aren't feeling too great about it. Um, Can I just say now, I get it now. Holy shit. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the reason why some people also the fact that they made him bi and not like ace or demisexual, which could still be someone who, you know, is like pan romantic and likes men or women who do, or doesn't care about gender and just, you know, it's about making an emotional connection. Um, there's also for a long time been think pieces about Tim Drake being um, autistic. He does have some elements to him that people could interpret as being on the autism spectrum to the point that like, um, I do think there's a comic where they call him neurodivergent, but they never have used the actual word because, you know, plausible deniability. Um, and since people on the spectrum tend to have a higher rate of being gender nonconforming or identifying as queer and all that, um, the idea that Tim would be is not that strange of a conclusion to come to considering everything about him that we see. It also might explain some of the social cues he's missing, like Ariana in high school being like, can I come over? And he's like, no, I'm good. Love you. Click. Like (laughs) (laughs) you could just hear Dick and Jason screaming in the background. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Boy. (laughs) Um, But like, so this, this is the issue, right? Is like, why, why'd they make him buy and not like, ace or demi or why why if they're gonna even make him buy like why this guy and not connor or why not a new character who you know felt more like you guys were committing to it um and this just kind of feels like a death stroke from the other universe sort of thing because this way they have their cake and they eat it too they get the cake of look at us first queer robin representation love us by our books but then when they're done with that, they can just quietly get rid of Bernard. And who's going to be that invested in Bernard? Let's be honest. Like, his name's Bernard. I'm sorry, Bernard. He's nothing. Hey, we know nothing about him except that his name well, is Well, you, you, you don't know. Could be one of the most beloved characters in five years. 
I I would be very surprised just from what I know of comics if Bernard the no the no things we know about him don't know what his job is or what he does or how him and Tim met. Does Bernard even have a stranger things have happened? Does Bernard even have a personality outside of gay? Is what I'm wondering. We haven't really seen enough of him because the date gets interrupted really quickly by bad guys. And Tim has to run away to go be Robin. And Bernard isn't even upset that, like, Tim ran away or anything. Bernard's just kind of like, oh, Robin, tell Tim Drake I love him. Like, whatever. It's just, or that I, I enjoyed our date, whatever. And so it's like, that's it. He doesn't, we haven't seen a personality except that he really likes Tim Drake. That's it. So, yeah, his only personality is gay. Got it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and, and and I think that's always the issue with bad queer writing is that, you know, the characters only personality is their sexuality so which is why i say there are the boo bisexual tim drake from the right and then there's the boo bisexual tim drake from the left <laughs> and they're very different right <laughs> right it's like um yeah i, I think uh, there's also some concern that because there isn't as much as dc is now being like first queer robin not true but they don't want to talk about the robin that was very clearly queer before this because they don't want him to be queer um i'm fucking excited but i'm sure you know and i'm sure many people at home who might be fans of this character would know jason todd is fucking bi guys and they really are just letting tim take that from him huh that kind of sucks (laughs) i i kind of feel like there's this meta joke going on because Jason's whole thing is you replaced me, Bruce, with with that guy talking about Tim. And I was like, you replaced me, DC, with that guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, how fun. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who might not know, uh, Jason's love life is even more of a disaster than Dick Grayson's. And that's saying something because Dick Grayson's is a case of every writer wanting to put him with their favorite character. So he's he's basically slept with base, every woman in Gotham practically at this point. Like, who hasn't he? Um, I often joke that Jason's type seems to be Dick's exes. But at the same time, I don't even know who's left for Jason after Dick's gone through everyone in the past. So, <laughs> um, so like, the reasons why beyond him being a disaster whose relationships never pan out. The characters that he's been closest to, he's had like something going on with Rose Wilson. It's never been focused on, sadly, because I feel like those two would be really interesting together. But we, they were together at some point. All we ever see is that now they've broken up and they can't decide if they like each other or she wants to kill him or whatever. Clearly, he did something to piss her off. Um, there was Corey, who, of course, was broken up with Dick at the time and heartbroken. And kind of drowns her sorrows in Jason for like a hot second before turning around and instead dating Jason's friend, Roy, which felt super weird because she fucks Jason, then turns around and is like, yo, what up, Roy? And so <laughs> a lot of fans at the time were like, so are they like in a polyamorous relationship? Like, what just happened here? Did the writer just course correct for no reason? Like, what what is going on? Um, and that outlaw's storyline isn't held in very high regard because of how... Corey was not written very well. Um, but, but following this, uh, we got a solo series of Red Hood and Arsenal. So it's just Jason and Roy after Corey's left. 
And God, Corey, you deserve so much better. I love you. I'm like, oh, God, please, please, DC, do right by my girl. She needs better. Um, but when they're alone, and I want to point out that the Jason being by storyline is one that writers wanted to do and have spoken about wanting to do, that part of his anger and why he's all weird, especially towards men in his family, is that he is grappling with repressed homose- homosexual attractions. Um, so they wanted to do a, a Jason bisexual storyline. But uh, I, I'm not sure what shut it down because, of course, people haven't really spoken out about what ended it. But it does seem like either DC shut it down or or DC didn't. It's just that New 52 got in the way because New 52 started and everything that was getting planned kind of got stopped. Um, but in New 52, we get this Red Hood and Arsenal. Just the two of them hanging out, two bros, five feet apart because they're not gay. <laughs> Except, no, they're not five feet apart. In fact, instead, you get Jason constantly calling Roy his partner, a title that he also calls Artemis later. Artemis, the lady whose pants he really, really wants to get in, calls Roy his partner. All right, already kind of weird, but, you know, whatever. Maybe he just calls his number one pal that, whatever. Constantly talks about him and Roy's life together. I might might call my friend my partner in something, but I have never, even with friends I've been roommates with, ever been like our life together. (sighs) Ever. (laughs) Maybe it's just me, but I I often find that men are even more like bro no homo than women are about what language they pick, usually. So it's a little odd to me that Mr. Toxic Masculinity Jason Todd would be like, oh, God, our life together, Roy. This this life of ours you you put together and schemed about. Like, he's always bitching about it, too. He's like, God damn, our life together. Like, he's bitter about the fact that he has this life with Roy, but he's not leaving because he wants to be here. It's just like, this just sounds like a bitchy, bitchy bisexual guy being like, why am I so into this dude? <laughs> why am I so into dudes? <laughs> why does this happen, you? Um, I also want to point out that joke about... Um, him going after Dick's exes because of Corey and um, Barbara and Rose never dated Dick, but she had a crush on him and all that. Um, Roy was Dick's best friend. So even there, like <laughs> Jason's like, I'm going to take everything that was Dick's. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it gets even gayer. If you had to name an anime trope that was like just they do this scene in anime or games when they are dating sims or whatever, when they want to signal sexual tension. Name some of them. Oh, dating. Oh, dating sims. This is my yeah. territory. This what, is are, my... what are some like tropes like that that come up to, to flag sexual tension between two characters? Uh, based on the ones I voiced in? <laughs> um... Any, like, like, how, what is are just like standard tropes in anime and games when they want to say like these two characters are attracted to each other but haven't confessed? A lot of blushing, a lot of fucking blushing. A lot of blushing. blushing. What else? Um, kind of just they're a bit closer. I want to say like like they are super fucking close. Say, to... And once I say this one, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that's a common one. Yeah. That whole I accidentally walked in on um, in the shower when you were in it senpai thing well you got to keep in mind that i i I have i haven't recorded for camp buddy yet but okay (laughs) (laughs) but 
like, that, that's like I a haven't really recorded for one. the NSFW one yet. Let's see. <laughs> well, even when it's not safe for work, like it's just like a ah, I look away. Like it's such a common trope. It's it's even in Fire Emblem. Um, oh yeah, true. You, yeah, you like Robin can walk in on Crom and all that stuff. Like it's just such a common trope of the oh no, I went into the bathroom and you were in the shower and I'm so sorry. Oh bless you, bless you, bless. And there's the blushing like you're talking about, right? Yeah. So when I ask you. Writers and artists don't do shit on accident. It's not like their pen slips and they're like, oops, I wrote the most common, one of the most common anime tropes for a, we want to bang, but neither of us have confessed ever. Like, there's a scene. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I, it's, it's real. I can provide the panels. Jason is showering and Roy walks into the shower, opens, you know, I don't remember if it's a curtain or a door, but he opens it wielding a giant flamethrower right around his crotch. Pardonnez-moi. And blasts Jason with it. <laughs> and Jason blushes and freaks out. He's like, ah, get out, what are you doing? <laughs> I cannot think of why an artist would do this. If they're uh-huh. trying to signal totally het bro dude. Totally hetero guy. Like, That's, this is, this is, some fast, and, this is some fast and furious level we're trying to be hetero type deal. So the explanation we're given is that Roy had put some chemical in the water that makes you fireproof. And what? had wanted, yeah, it, it's really dumb because it's clear that they're just making up an excuse to have this scene. Like, his, his reason he gives Jason, once Jason has come out dripping in a towel, like, what the fuck, bro? Um, so he's like, I wanted to test it out. So I have this flamethrower I built and I came to the shower while you were getting yourself drenched in that chemical to test if the fire would burn you, which first of all, what the fuck, Roy? You should really ask someone. Second of all, could it have not waited till he got out of the shower? Why did it have to be while he was in the shower? Third of all, how how the fuck did you get the chemical into running water? Like, how? How much of it is in your, like, tank right now? Like, Roy, what? And why? Wouldn't it have been more efficient to just spray him and be like, let's see if this works? Like, why? What? And it's clearly a super contrived situation written around just getting Roy to burst in on Jason in the shower naked and blast him with something vaguely phallic. Like, it's clear that's the reason. And they're just making up a bullshit reason. And if you're thinking, well, I mean, as long as, you know, there was a story reason for it. I'm like, no. There isn't. This never comes back. If you're expecting that later in the story, this was a setup, like a Chekhov's gun, where someone's going to hit Jason with fire and he's going to be like, good thing, Roy's like fireproof thing. No. <laughs> never comes back. It is never relevant. It does not matter. They never, is there another problem with the chemical clogging, clogging their pipes or whatever? It literally, they want you to forget. It doesn't matter. They just wanted a scene of Roy bursting in on Jason naked in the shower and going, on him that's it you tell me this wasn't a writer being like i'm mad bisexual jason todd wasn't allowed to be a thing let's make bisexual jason todd anyway like (laughs) and if you think that is the biggest piece of evidence it is not there's one even gayer scene oh goody there are plenty of them in this run i highly recommend it it's only two volumes and you so that you can not because it's the best comic in the world but because i want you to see i'm not crazy it's there i swear <laughs> by the way i found just quick google i found the image of oh, that yeah. scene 
Of the shower? Yes. Yes, so you can see it. It's Googleable. So as long as you like type it in, you'll you'll get it. You can see I'm not nuts, but to spoil the story, not that it's a huge twist or anything, the gang breaks up at the end, right? Right. And it, it ends with Roy almost getting killed by the Joker's daughter. And it's a very meta thing, which again lends credence to the fact that a lot of the hints are very meta, right? Um, Jason was originally killed due to a survey. They like asked people to call in and vote if they wanted Robin to live or die. And people voted like callous fuckers for Robin to die. Though I think people may have thought that they wouldn't do it and were surprised that their vote counted. Um, And that's how Jason died was people voted for it. Uh, And so in this story, the Joker's daughter, Adwella, what she does, she's not actually the Joker's daughter. She just calls herself that. Um, What she does is that she takes Roy, ties him up to a chair shirtless for maximum uh, sexy, sad, suffer boy, I guess. I don't know. Uh, It didn't seem necessary, but okay, Adwella. Ties him up, puts him in front of a camera and tells Gotham, hey, you guys get to vote on if I murder this guy. And Gotham, being filled with flawed people that I guess just want to see if it'll happen, the majority vote for her to kill Roy. And so she goes to do it. Jason shows up just in time, stops her, saves Roy. Obviously, he's shaken up not only because he was the one that insisted they trust Duella because he wanted to believe he could save her. Like, I can be saved if I can save someone else. Even though Roy kept being like, bro, she she's crazy as fuck. And she's like totally moving in on our guy dude's time. And I don't appreciate it. And I just want my Jason. And Jason was like, bro, like, come on, just let me help this girl. So Jason's upset because he put Roy in this danger by insisting he trusts Duella. And from a meta perspective, we can understand why this would upset Jason because outside of the story from our perspective this is how jason was killed right um so jason breaks up with roy because he doesn't want to endanger him and he can't handle it so there he is in his his red hood outfit takes the helmet off walks over to roy puts a hand on his shoulder leans in super close and whispers in his ear to the point that his lips could touch his ear gay 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 and gay says to him says to him it was never going to work you and me you just you're a good person you believe in people i don't believe in anyone but i know you'll still be the hero i know you can be and then lets him go and walks away how is that not a it's not you it's me breakup that is a, it's not there, you, there's it's no there is no heterosexual explanation. And to date, I have shown that panel to anyone that objects to what I'm saying, and no one has a better explanation. Because I don't know about you, but, like, I've never known two guy friends that are just totally straight and guy friends to go to each other's ears and whisper bad news sensually like that. <laughs> like... <laughs> Ever. I have not. And I've known a lot of people. I'm Latina. We're very touchy-feely compared to white people a lot of the time. And I've never, never seen that. <laughs> like, just... I'm going to just message the straightest guy I know, my friend Martin. 
and ask him. <laughs> ask him if he <laughs> leans into his his totally straight buddies and he's just gonna be like, "Yeah, we totally do that all the time." All the time. Yeah, I just uh, and I'm gonna bring him on this fucking show to confirm it, just to be like to interrogate ah. him to see if he's telling the truth and has a Phoenix Wright like breakdown about it. <laughs> Checkmate, Lucia. <laughs> But, like, yeah, it, you should look up those panels because, like, it really is very clear. And Roy doesn't act like, yo, bro, why are you in my ear or, like, anything about it. Roy just stands there, listens, and then after Jason walks away, looks all heartbroken. And I'm just sitting there, like, trying to imagine, like, two of my guy friends, even ones that are really close. And one of them goes to the other one without warning, doesn't even say I'm going to whisper in your ear or anything, and just goes up. And during an actually ten, not even fucking around, a tense situation, whisper sensually in his ear, close enough that his lips could just touch his the shell of their his ear just by moving, and says something like, "It's not you, it's me. We can't be friends anymore." Like, there's no fucking way the second guy doesn't go, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And that isn't the only stuff. I mean, in other stories, Jason Todd, as in the past, said Kyle Rayner was dreamy. I don't blame you, Jason. Kyle Rayner is dreamy. Uh, Jason has mocked a villain who was fighting him, saying that his accent gets thicker when he's mad and that it's cute. Like, all sorts of fucking shit about Jason flirting with guys or saying guys are attractive. He does it. Or the time that they told him that they he was in prison, they were pulling him out, and they said they had to strip search him, and they said they were going to use machines to scan him. And he said, what, no bending over and rubber gloves? And they said, no. And he said damn like he i don't remember the exact line but he was like expressed disappointment and you're like jason what <laughs> you're just desperate for male attention like what are you doing bro this man is as straight as a fucking circle this yeah so um <laughs> jason jason lost his virginity to talia I, i've never liked that storyline i've always thought it was kind of character assassination that she would statutory him but whatever he's had very very messy relationships and issues um, so the idea that Jason would have trouble even understanding what he's feeling, let alone accepting it, makes sense for the character. The idea that he'd react in anger and lashing out makes sense for the character. And seeing how important his friendship with Roy was and that he abandoned that too makes sense for the character. He's running from it, right? And mm -hmm. so all of this, if DC wanted to have a bisexual Robin, it was already laid out with Jason and it's really frustrating because I think the only reason they gave it to Tim instead is because they have no idea what to do with Tim anymore. And they were searching for a gimmick and have been searching for a gimmick for him for a while. You might remember for a while he was trying to go by the name Drake for his superhero name. And like he's gone through Red Robin and now he's Robin again. Red and Robin. <laughs> yeah. Is, is he a fucking superhero or the owner of a, of a successful restaurant franchise? Right. Now he's Robin again, even though Damien is also Robin. So they go on patrol with two Robins, I guess. They, they have no idea what to do with him. For a while, he was the smart one. But because DC didn't separate the types of intelligences and just makes everyone, you know, random all around smart person, he kind of conflicts with Barbara and Damien, who are both smart and technical and all that. So then it was like, well, he's the heir apparent, except now Dick Grayson has made up with Bruce and come back into the fold. So he's the heir apparent again. Plus, there's also Damien, who might also be the heir apparent. And then we have uh, Jason. Well, for a while, they want to make him, okay, he's like the black sheep who's kind of angry and, and is having problems, but that's Jason's shtick. So, like, it never stuck with Tim because they had Jason to do that. So, like, they, they've been searching for a while trying to find a place. They couldn't even have him be the baby of the group because there's 
there's a uh, Damien. And then he, for a while they were like, I studied martial arts harder than all of my brothers because I'm not, I don't have a natural aptitude. All right. But no matter how much you do, Tim, like Sandra Kane's around. So sorry. Like you're not going to be the best martial artist either. So like they, for a while, haven't known what to do with this character and searching for a gimmick for him. Nothing sticks. And I, I feel this horrible cynical pain inside of me of, I bet the reason they gave it to Tim and not Jason is because they don't know what to do with Tim. So he's going to be the gay Robin. And that yeah, hurts. I can I can see that because I mean we live in an era where like gay care like confirmed queer characters when they happen is like the like most trending thing. Like it happened it happened with Korra, happened with She-Ra, happened with Owl House. Yeah. And like, that pains me, right? Like it hurts that someone would cynically do this because I would love to have a queer Robin. Well, maybe Athenaeum needs to be the thing that delivers, I don't know. Oh, I'm glad to deliver it to all the poor children that really want a bisexual Robin and aren't getting what they need. I mean, in the libraries, we've already given them a bisexual Harvey Dent. I mean, to be perfectly honest, they so often in the comics talk about how his obsession is with duality and with two and sometimes he has some statements that you're kind of like does that extend to that too because <laughs> no 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 i remember when when you gave me the role of the teenage version and you were like oh by the way uh, harvey dent's bisexual and it's like fuck yeah this is what i'm working with <laughs> you're like what did you say chaotic chaotic queer <laughs> you chaotic. have it no, that's just what I say with every like you don't. It seems pe- you don't. It seems people know they don't cast me in anything unless there's a level of chaos. Cause I was like, that's not that's not what I said, Jazzy. You're like, right, chaotic queer. Got it. I was like, that that's not quite what I. You're like chaos control. Like, like <laughs> well, Lucia, you didn't need you didn't need you didn't need to open up my uh sonic my old Sonic love. To- <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I see through the lines of the Jazzy. You, you, oh God, you know that I own a Dreamcast with Sonic Adventure 1. How dare you? So I just, I want you to know that I loved your interpretation of Young Harvey. I thought he was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love representation, but I'm also one of those people that hates just blindly assigning and changing characters. Cause I'm always like, it's so much more complicated than just like a palette swap or a sexuality swap. Things like that affect you, like how you grow up, how people treat you in society, the messages you receive, like it's going to affect you. And I'm not saying that everything has to be a tragedy or whatever when you're queer or a person of color, just that it would change you. And so this idea that you could just randomly pick a character and be like, you, this now, like it should be done with a little bit more thoughtfulness because there are some characters that are primed for it, that are perfect for it. And there are others that would be bad choices. Like anyone trying. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. I talked a lot. I think you can tell the difference between someone who knows what the fuck they're writing when it comes to queer storylines, a.k.a. queer writers. Yeah. And a straight person trying too hard or not trying at all, depending on how you look at it. Or trying because a studio told them to. Right. Like, they don't really have a choice. When you look at something like... When you look at something like She-Ra, the Owl House, Kipo, or anything with this great queer representation that everyone's praising, like, there's, like, commonalities between them that you kind of understand, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does make sense. And, like, and it feels sincere. Mm-hmm. 
And even like when a creator wanted a character to be queer and it didn't happen, there you could still tell. Like, um, I remember Alex Hirsch mentioned that if he was able to, he wanted Wendy in Gravity Falls to be bisexual, and quite frankly, I can see that. Yeah, I can see it too. Mm-hmm. That's an awful lot of flannel you got there, Wendy. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> Wendy's not fu- Wendy's not fucking straight. Let's be real. Nice um, Doc Martens you got there, Wendy. <laughs> I noticed that there's a consistency among those animated shows with queer representation, like how they've been able to adequately handle it in ways. And I think that's partially because most of the time the creators are queer themselves, right? Right, right. Like and they're Shira trying to reflect is, that. She-Ra is a very queer show, and it's made by a queer creative team, and you can tell. Same I do with... think also that even creators that are themselves not queer could still write sincere portrayals, because obviously... When you're a writer, you have to write all sorts of characters. You can't just write a bunch of views. So I I don't think it's impossible that someone could sincerely write a queer character without being queer. Right. Uh, what I think goes wrong in situations like comics is that when we, when we see the animated stuff, like the amount of being able to plot the story that and what they want to put in that writers do, it, they're giving a lot more control over that. In comics... You're inheriting all the baggage of these characters that previous writers have put in, and you're subject to whatever editorial mandates are going on at the time. And if they say it has to go like this, you can't do this, or there has to be a crossover, your story could get derailed. And they do. Stories get derailed entirely because of these things. And it's just kind of a problem in the comics industry. And I I get upset when I see people blaming writers and being like, oh man, you stupid SJW writers ruining comics. And I just want to be like, you do realize that leftist writers have been around always, just like right-wing writers have been around always. And your favorite comics have been written by writers all over the political spectrum. The reason you think those comics were great and these comics suck have nothing to do with the damn SJWs or activist writers. It has everything to do with they are way more tightly controlled than they used to be. Right. And... Yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, you can look back at any media, at any media, and you've, and like LGBT people have, have more than likely worked on it. I mean, I w- it was like a few months ago where I found out Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman, is, is, is gay. I had no clue. So <laughs> I've always said, I, I think um, when people said that they had no clue, I was like, well, dude, he, he made a career out of pretending to be this uh, cishet, rich, privileged, white man while secretly actually being the absolute icon and hero we all needed so like you know he had practice at it yeah i mean i I fucking love kevin conroy so yeah (laughs) yeah everybody does he's wonderful absolutely love him Mm -hmm. but yeah and it's like but yeah back to like queer writers and stuff yeah i have no doubt that if if they know what the fuck they're doing like straight like straight writers can write like convincing queer representation I think convincing is the wrong word. I apologize. Like, good. Yeah, good queer representation. But I do notice that some of the better ones comes from, like, just queer queer creators in general. Like, I mentioned She-Ra, and I looked this up just to be certain because I wasn't sure, but um, Dana Terrace, who does Owl House, is bisexual, so. And um, incorporates a lot of her own experiences into the character of um, Luz Noceda, so. 
I love Luz to pieces. Oh my god, I love her so much. Luz is probably my favorite character that Disney has put in anything, so... I have never felt like there was a Latina character in media that felt like me as a kid. Mm -hmm. Until Luz. And I was like, man, it waited until I was an adult, but I'm still happy for it. And I'm so happy for all the little Latina girls that are going to get to see her and be like, man, she's like quirky and weird and fun and nice Uh, and and adventurous rather than just being the rich bitch uh, or whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I also feel that way with like, there are so many characters in Owl House that you can, that people can connect towards. Like I personally connect a lot to Amity so much so that I felt like the animators were fucking mocking me when they gave her purple <laughs> hair later on. It's like, you are, you know, you, someone on this creative team follows me. They're tapping your phones. Someone, someone on this creative team follows me on Twitter. I'm going to find out who. No, they don't follow you on Twitter. They follow you around in real life. Oh God, that'd be t- like I'm just. A- <laughs> God, that'd be terrible. It's like how many uh how many Death Note shit posts have you guys seen me uh like come up with like on like out of nowhere? <laughs> How'd you enjoy Not watching enough. that? Not enough. I want more. Not enough. I want more. <laughs> it's like because because that's pretty much I'm either I'm either playing games, watching shit, doing voice acting, or doing shit posts. So that's that is my life. By the way, I found the screen cap. And I'm going to post it in the Skype call so that you can see what I was talking about. And everyone can hear the reactions. Okay. Yeah, show this to me. I, I want to. There is not a single fucking thing straight about this at all. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You cannot. The only straight thing in this entire page is the lines between the panels. Yeah, it's, it's, I was not exaggerating. You see, like, his lips are, like, right all up in his ear. Oh, and they frame it that way. They zoom in on it so that you know how close they are. That is not an accident. The artist and the writer chose to frame it that way. You cannot tell me they weren't trying to imply that. And the way, like, you know, they're using kind of narrow panels here kind of implies a sense of intimacy, so... Yeah, yeah, yes. it is very, very close and tightly like, packed, yeah. Like, I don't know too much about comic language, but I do rec- but I do understand visual storytelling to a degree because I'm, I- I'm a film geek, and just looking at this, I'm like, yeah, this is implying intimacy here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, what are you talking about? It's just bros being bros. It's just yep. a normal bro thing you do. As we all know, this is exactly how bros act all the time. <laughs> exactly. This is very bro. There's This is so bro, guys. Anytime someone tells me, like, that no, Jason Todd is not bi, I'm just like, I post this panel and, and they never have a real answer for it. Because right. why would they? Like here, just... You're like, here, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, oh, let me share the gospel with you. <laughs> the gospel of Jason. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. This is this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, if you if you want to pick it up, it's just called Red Hood and Arsenal. There's only two volumes, so it's not like a super long, long story. I might check it out. Yeah. I... <laughs> they are they are pretty pretty gay all up in that with each other and it's Pretty heartbreaking what happened after because Roy died not too long after they um, last saw each other in the next Outlaw story, which Roy wasn't in, but he showed up at the end to save Jason. 
just at the end, just to save him. Bro, I got you. He took out Batman to do it real quick, too. Like, that was ballsy. That, that's true love. You're going to take out Batman to save a guy. Um, and shortly after, Roy died. And Jason wasn't invited to the funeral and wasn't told right away. And so we get this heartbreaking thing of Jason calling Roy all the time, trying to get a hold of him and leaving voicemails. Oh, my God. And Jason always hated the nickname Jaybird that Roy gave him. Like, he always complains about it. But after Roy's gone and Jason can't talk to him anymore and he keeps calling his phone and leaving voicemails and he calls himself Jaybird. And he's like, hey, Roy, it's Jaybird. Oh, my God. Like. This nickname you gave me that I always hated and now I'm using it because I miss you so much. And he, he does it until he can't leave any more voicemails and then he's just angry and hurt and upset. Oh my god. Wow. Jeez. That's a that's a lighthearted thing to end on with that. <laughs> Are, are we ending it? Uh, no, I, uh, no, 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 we're not ending it. I just saying that storyline. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I don't know how to go to another topic now. The topic Damn you, Lucia. Lucia has made this the Batman podcast. Yeah, yeah. I swear, if we bring her in, it's just Batman. Are you still there, Lucia? You're quiet. Lucia? Hey, I don't know what happened. Skype just crashed. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. Okay. Skype was, too, Skype was too sad, I think. Yeah, it, that uh, was, yeah. Uh, it needed a dramatic pause to end that. Yeah. Well, Skype, hey, look, it's fine. He's alive again. <laughs> yeah, because it's comics. comics. Yeah. It's comics. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just saying, oh God, how do I how do I move on from to another topic from that? Jesus. Yeah, right. Like, uh... <laughs> uh, I saw the Green Knight in theaters the other day. <laughs> what did you a... think of it? It was very bizarre. I think I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> See, like the Green Knight is one of those movies where I say I like it hesitantly because, it, but it's a hard movie to recommend. Because it's so out there and strange and not what I was expecting. But at the same time, that's why I admire it, because it wasn't what I was expecting. Ah, yeah, it's definitely that bait and switch type of movie where it's just yeah. strange and not, not what yeah, you expect. Like, I will say I really like the first two thirds of that movie just because it was kind of it was kind of atmospheric. The performances were great, especially Dev Patel, which I hadn't seen in a movie since The Last Airbender. And boy, what a fucking comeback. <laughs> Man, I always feel so bad for that actor because, like, he did he was, Slumdog Millionaire, won a freaking Oscar. His career should have been made. And he said that he could not get any offers for any roles except for stuff like Terrorist or Cab Driver. And that's why he did Avatar The Last Air, or I should say just The Last Airbender, was because it was the first time he got, like, a real to, role. To be fair, I actually think he did okay as Zuko. I think he was one of the best parts of that movie. He had, like, nothing to work with, so I do not hold any of it against him. I don't think I could have made some of those lines right. work either. Like, 
But he tried. I think, like, him and the actor who played Iroh were easily the ones that actually survived the crummy direction. Yeah, they were trying really hard. You can tell that his heart is in it, specifically because he's like, oh, man, like, an actual role that isn't just terrorist or cab driver or other fucking racist shit. Like, mm-hmm. he's trying so fucking hard, and they're just giving him nothing. Yeah, so I was happy he got to play a character like Sir Gawain, which I'm sure in most other movies would probably be cast to a white dude. I'm really glad to see that he's getting more work because, like, he, right. he's such a talent. And it's so unfair because if he had been white or a more acceptable minority, whatever, like, he would have had he would have had a bigger career after winning an Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought he did very well in this movie. Like, um, the performances were all excellent. Cinematography, direction-wise, it was all great. I thought the last third was where it kind of got shaky, and I can't say why without spoilers, but let's just say it started veering from cleverly weird to it feels like you're just being weird for the sake of it. Ah, there's and a I, fine line. And I get that may be subjective because I know plenty of people kind of sort of disagreed with me on that point. Like a lot of people agreed with me that the part, the problems I had with the third act were certainly there, but but like people still felt it was like a 10 out of 10 movie anyway and i get it it's it has its moment like the third act still has its moments but it felt like it felt like this kind of clever interesting visual storytelling was being out left being left to just kind of left to die and then you get to the final like 10 or so minutes and it comes back so it's so fucking odd huh like I'll, I'll say, have to see it. I, I mean, I'm interested in seeing it. I haven't really seen many movies since the plague hit us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say it's good. It's worth checking out, and I definitely recommend it. And I'm happy that, you know, A24, wonderful fucking studio, has given, like, all these opportunities for, like, for, like, smaller films to kind of have this major presence at the box office. Have you seen uh, the new Suicide Squad, by the way? Yes, yes, I did. What do you think of it? I loved it. Me yeah. too. I didn't expect to after the last one. I thought it would be good and because I love James Gunn's work, but I didn't mm-hmm. expect to love it as much as I did, but I did. It's it's interesting because if you count the original Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, and this movie as a trilogy, <laughs> this is the it only got better <laughs> with each one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I agree with that. I really enjoyed Birds of Prey, except for Cassandra Cain being not Cassandra Cain. But God, I just never have to watch that first Suicide Squad movie again. I think we talked about this with Lizzie last time, but I actually, in a way, I enjoy the first Suicide Squad, but I'm not going to like like say it's a great movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a lot of like por- parts of it that I genuinely think is pretty cool, but I also think that movie's uh, a giant mess in a lot of ways. So I have a complicated relationship to that first film, but obviously James Gunn's Suicide Squad it's infinitely better. <laughs> For one thing, it's more consistent in its vision because the problem with the original Suicide Squad is it was a clash between what David Ayer wanted and what the studios wanted, as was most of the Phase One DCU films. Oh yeah, and like I, I don't even blame the director because he was basically told you have like a few weeks to do this, and mm-hmm. like 
the amount of pre-production you'd have to do to make any movie, let alone an ensemble piece, which means researching a bunch of these characters because you haven't had movies to set them up before this and deciding how you're going to portray them because a lot of them have decades of portrayals to choose from. And how are we going to portray them here? And how are we going to work them all together? And you have to just kind of rush and do this. And if he wasn't already familiar with a bunch of these characters, like that means having to do the research and like figure out how you're going to portray them all, how you're going to have them interact and write a script in a couple weeks. Like that is a nightmare. That is a nightmare scenario. And I can't right. believe the studio expected anything good to come of that. Right. This <laughs> is why when people say, oh, they need to release the Ayer cut, like release the Snyder cut. I'm like, what fucking cut? He wasn't allowed to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like I always say, like, it's kind of a lost cause to blame creatives entirely. Right. Because this industry runs in a way that often is counter to what's conducive to making art. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're asking DC to release a cut of a movie that would probably be just as much of a mess as what we got, if not maybe slightly more focused. But at least when people were calling for a fucking Snyder cut, there was something tangible there. Yeah. It wasn't finished, but there was something there. <laughs> it wasn't, they I had mean, to spend money to finish it. <laughs> really, there there was even less than I think most people thought there, but they gave mm-hmm. him money to do the reshoots for the vision he wanted, and that's fine. Um, it, it's way better than the original product. It isn't my favorite movie or anything, but like it's way better than the original movie we got out of them. I don't think it's worth it sometimes, though, to go back. Like I don't really care about them releasing another Suicide Squad uh, one when they could just make another movie like James Gunn did like that's just more productive in my view it is like and the thing is like I'm gonna say um when it comes to the Snyder Cut of Justice like they spend so much money to go back and make the vision the director's vision and while I am genuinely happy for him I only think it was slightly worth it <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, it's a huge improvement. Like, it's huge. But, like, the movie, to me, is still just, like, yeah, it's okay. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was fine. It was probably the best of the of the movies that Snyder did for, D, for the DCEU. Not that that's hard to do. Yeah. As yeah. long as you made a tangible movie, congratulations, you made something better than both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Yeah. So, like... like I'm I'm glad the fans got the movie they wanted, at least. It's never going to be the movie I wanted, but, like, right. there are people that just, enjoyed it, and that's mm-hmm. fine. I don't know. I was, too, I was too distracted by the fucking aspect ratio to enjoy most of that movie. It was, that was so weird. I was like, why, though? Why? It's a big fucking action movie. Widescreen is the best format for this. Yeah. Like, you it, know, it's artsy. Like, I've seen, I've seen... I've seen like small <laughs> indie films do four by three to kind of increase intimacy or make it really intense and shit like the lighthouse. But this isn't a small indie film. It's a fucking justice league movie. Well, yeah, it also served a very real purpose in lighthouse of like making you feel claustrophobic. Right. Like, like you were talking about visual storytelling, right? So like right, in lighthouse, right. it's very much making us feel like the two men trapped in this claustrophobic space. But like, in Justice League, it actually actively sometimes hurts the movie because there's these action sequences and a bunch of, like, movement and you have limited screen space to show it. And, like, the lighthouse doesn't have a whole bunch of action sequences of running around CG everywhere and you're trying it's to, like... It's just two people most of the time. It's just two people. It's, it's, a, it's sort of, like, intimate, claustrophobic 
character drama. So, like, yeah, that works. But, like, for a fucking action superhero sci-fi flick, you're just, like, there's just less space. Why? You're, you're throwing so much crap at the screen, and I don't have room for it. It's it's funny to me, because it's, like, by doing this, you pretty much made a... If we're counting Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Justice League as a trilogy of Snyder films for the shared universe, they are all so radically different from each other. It's, like, did you even have a vision? Yeah. Yeah. Or did you have a vision, but it's now a fucking mess? Because if so, congratulations, it's quite the mess. <laughs> it's quite the fascinating mess. Yes, it's a fascinating mess. <laughs> um, but yeah, At I least. will say, still, still better than, still better than the original theatrical cut. Thank. Fucking god, at least. Yeah, but you know, being better than like malaria. <laughs> but um, yeah. Like, I, Lucia, I, would you like to eat this like bland bowl of like rice porridge, or would you like to just inject yellow flash into your veins? I'm like, you know what? I'll take the bland rice porridge. It's fine. No seasoning. It's good. <laughs> right. It's like it's a forgettable cookie cutter movie that's way too fucking long, but it is at least, it at least had a story. It had characters. It fulfilled the, the minimum requirement to be a movie. So it is better than the theatrical cut in that regard. And it had moments that are fun. Yeah. And yeah, it did have its moments. I like cyborg a lot in this cut, honestly. Like if there's any reason to watch it, I'd say it's him. So I'd say it's just Cyborg, though. Every other character was just kind of there, and every time Wonder Woman was on screen, the soundtrack got obnoxious. Oh, dude, there were portions of Wonder Woman's, like, soundtrack that they kept blaring that I was like, I know this isn't actually racist, and yet a part of me kind of feels like it is. Like, just this random fucking chanting that's just, yeah, it, it got like, so annoying after a while, because this, every every time she appears on screen, you hear a, you hear a lady in the background going, Yah! You're like, this vaguely foreign ethnic chanting is making me uncomfortable that you blare it specifically during these specific segments. What are you trying to say? I don't even get why they needed that. Wonder Woman already had a music motif throughout these movies that fucking guitar riff that's that if you still replaced it with that it would still be overused but it's there yeah it uh but in terms of the suicide squad yeah i agree i i have to say that one's probably my favorite of these dc films that have come out lately oh that one is i think mine's uh shazam but Shaz sh yeah. the suicide squad and shazam are kind of interchangeable for me i fucking adored both i also love wonder woman but Wonder Woman um, was good. But Shazam was my favorite of their individual superhero films, I suppose. It I really felt... About Wonder Woman too. Oops, sorry, no, go ahead and finish what you were saying. <laughs> oh, I just, I just appreciated that that film felt so distinctly like itself, and it felt like it was doing justice to at least what I felt like the character should be. So, I don't know, that... that Shazam worked really well, and I and I felt like that about Wonder Woman as well. But uh, what were we gonna say, Lucia? Oh, I was gonna say I feel about Wonder Woman the way Jazzy was saying she was feeling about um that other movie you were telling us about. Where like I really liked the first Wonder Woman, though I felt it kind of fell apart a bit in the third act. Yeah, um, and from what I can tell, that was the bit where a lot of executive meddling happened, and it yeah, is. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, they wanted that big action sequence at the end to work that way, but. Yeah, that was that was my biggest gripe of the movie, and it remains like kind of my biggest gripe because like I really, really love that movie until 
the third act where it kind of falls apart for me. But like overall, I would still rate that movie as one of the best ones in the DC cinematic universe or whatever. It was at least better than the sequel where I'm still trying to process what the fuck they were trying to do. This is going to be a strange opinion, but hear me out. I Mm -hmm. loved the sequel. I liked it. Like I'll say that. I loved it because I was just, I didn't realize I was having beginning stages of COVID when I was watching it. And I was just in this delirium. And I was like laughing at the jokes. I was crying at the sad parts. And there was a critical part of me still alive enough inside of me to be like, this doesn't make sense. And I was like, but I'm having a great time and feeling so many emotions. And the next day I was like, oh shit, I have COVID. I think I'm dying. Um, It's culminated in me getting very sick and very, very delirious and, and doctor's visits and hospitals and all that. But, um, so I have this like memory of like knowing it was bad, but fucking loving the schlocky disaster that it's, just goes all in on mess. It is a fun movie. I will grant you like, a spe- like it, it's a movie that had a very weak script, but everyone was trying so fucking hard to make it work. God, yeah, especially the villain. What's that actor's name? Oh, God, I know his name. Um, uh, Pedro Pascal. Yes, yes, Pedro Pascal. Oh, wow, we said that freaking, at the same time. <laughs> I love him. I love him. He's so freaking just, like, fun to watch and stuff. Yeah. yeah, he was entertaining, and I liked the concept of, like, wishing being the villain of the, like, the wishes, the concept of wishes is the villain of the movie. I thought that was a cool idea that should have been given a bit more time to work, but... Yeah, I think that's probably the worst part of that movie is that it has concepts. They're actually really solid, but mm. the execution is some of the worst that we've seen. It's a, it's but, a bad movie. Yeah, I'm not but, gonna lie. It's a bad movie, guys. It's a bad movie. If you want to enjoy it, you've got to go in with Cats 2018 sort of vibes and just prepare to enjoy a wild ride of nonsense. Right, like, again, the appeal of the movie to me is that it is a bad script that people are really trying their damnedest to make work and it's kind of entertained it it's kind of entertaining in that regard because everyone's still bringing their own yeah. gal like gal gadot does great chris pine is awesome as usual though i thought the way they brought him back was a little problematic if you get where i'm going I'm super super uncomfortable like even when i was watching my delirium i was like aren't aren't you in another man's body you can't just run around i mean sex with your girlfriend in someone else's body dude like that's I will say, um, Chris Pine also had my favorite line in this movie, where they're like they're trying to get the jet to be invisible. I think it's been a while since I watched it. I need to watch it again just to enjoy the dumb, the the stupidity of it. Can we watch it all together and enjoy the stupidity? <laughs> yes, I I'd be so up for that. But uh, <laughs> so like, the, and she's like, oh. Um, and they're, like, trying to get the jet to be invisible while they're in flight, and, like, they only have so much time to do it. And, like, Diane's like, oh, I haven't tried it on something this big before. And Chris Pine just looks dead straight at her and goes, well, shit, Diane! (laughs) That is my favorite line in the movie, just because Chris Pine, I think Chris Pine kind of realized, who the fuck wrote this? It's to me, it's so fucking funny, because everything about that scene Makes zero sense. So, like, they need a plane. They go to a museum. Hey, planes 
aren't like all fueled up with jet fuel and museum guys like they're just not that would be extremely dangerous why do you think that they're going to be fueled up but for some reason they are and like okay there's a runway in the museum okay i guess that's possible there could be sure <laughs> and then they're like okay well we're entering like foreign airspace so there'll be like radar and stuff right so they're like oh let me make the jet invisible. You could make things invisible the whole time. This has never come up. Even when we were fighting the bad guys in the first movie, you didn't mention that you could make shit, including you if you're inside of it, invisible. And she's like, nah, I just, you know, whatever. So like, all right, I guess you just could do this. Let's, you know, we're moving on. We're just moving on. Except making you look invisible would not make you invisible to radar. Right. So what the fuck is this scene accomplishing? I don't know. It's so good. It's so I guess we're invisible to like bird watchers, I guess, but like to radar or not. You know, the I 80s. you know, the more I think back to Wonder Woman 84, the more I realize, oh shit, this is actually a pretty good comedy. No, it's hilarious. You're like, what is why does this museum keep all of their planes fueled up? This is dangerous. It's so <laughs> It's so, like, and I guess I've seen other movies make that mistake, too, but I guess here it just strikes me as so odd because the first movie, despite some of the mysticism, like, tried to have kind of, like, this grounded, realistic setting to it with the war and shit. Yeah. And then you have this where you have fucking planes fueled at a museum. Also, I want to point out, it was the 80s. So this was before the whole no smoking indoors stuff, right? Because, like... Even restaurants and shit used to be like smoking areas and not smoking areas. Planes do, which is insane to think about. Like, like that's not going to drift over to you. But like, that means this museum may have very well had smoking sections. So people just fucking flicking their cigarettes and smokes around these fully fueled jets. This is hilarious. Oh my God. I'm so happy I talked to you about this movie. I need to watch it again. This is hilarious. Terrible. I love this. I want to watch it again. My God. I love it. It makes no Lucia, goddamn sense. Lucia, can we, watch, can we watch this again after the podcast is over? I kind of want to watch it. I can't tonight because I, I have to to um, go to a coaching session. I actually, I'm going to be late, but I told him I would because I was like, oh, my girl's got to come first. So. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here and for me to be here while we're. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun just talking to you guys about Fast and the Furious, Queer Robins. I'm sorry I rambled for so long. No, that's okay. Oh. You, you kind of took over our show, and I kind of love that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes it's it's me talking a lot. Sometimes it's a guest. Sometimes it's the demon who resides in the corner who likes to take over the show from occasion. That demon's a piece of shit! <laughs> okay, I'm going to bring this up very quickly, but uh, before we have to wrap things up, but I, I didn't get to bring it up last time is is the fact that I ran a a poll on the Gals of Geekdom Twitter account mm-hmm. <laughs> about the uh, which host is your favorite of us. And um, I was amazed by how much the demon got votes. <laughs> really? Like, like, I think you won the poll, but the demon was at, like, a formidable second. <laughs> that is amazing. And, like, Lizzie and I were just far off in the back. I wonder I, how people voted for the demon because they didn't want to pick a favorite. Yeah, so the choices were obviously me, Chazzy, Lizzie, and then the demon in the corner. And 
maybe you, Lucia, you might be right that some didn't want to choose a favorite, but for some fucking reason, they all voted for me and the demon. <laughs> I mean, I I absolutely could not pick, so I would have picked the demon in the corner. But I mean, I can see why anyone anyone would pick any one of the three of you. You're all just so much fun to talk to. You're all so lovely, and you all crack me up. So. Oh, thank you. I was so mad that Lizzie got in last because she's amazing, and I'm just like. Do you listen to the show? Would you have been mad if I got last, Crystal? Of course. Good, good, good. I'm glad we had this talk. Me, as I say, pointing a gun at your head. Okay, uh, you guys should make a new poll. That's who's your favorite, and it should be all of us, all of us, all of us, the demon in the corner. This is the only way to get a true answer, okay? You have to frame it like this. You know what? I'm going to do that right now the oh, only shit. way to know if their problem was that they couldn't choose or that they just love that demon so much by the way you haven't introduced me to the demon in the corner and i'm very upset it's very well, it's because the demon's a whore uh that, i still want to meet the demon all right okay no ju- judgment just because i'm a little like i'm waiting for your love doesn't mean other people can't enjoy their bodies as they see fit well, she no, is, no, she... no 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 i don't mean literal sex worker I, i'm saying that they're just a fucking whore <laughs> You know what, demon in the corner? You do you, baby. All right? You're good. You go steal those lemons. I support your... your. I mean, I just hope you're being safe and valuing yourself. And are you calling the, Are you calling the demon in the corner a lemon-stealing whore? They are a lemon-stealing whore. But you know what? It's fine. You can steal all oh of my, my lemons. I, I, in oh college, my I wrote a lot of them to get, get through. So, like, you know, steal all of my lemons. You can have them. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> hey, like that paid back in the day. That shit. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do to make rent. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was writing stuff anonymously for people that would pay me money. Whatever. You know what? Fair. Like a lot of it was ace attorney themed at that time. <laughs> Everyone wanted gay lawyer boys. I was like, sure, all right, whatever. I Recently, I joked about doing a Saw fan film where I make it queer themed and a lot. And I am surprised at how many people are like, I want to see this now. <laughs> like, I, I made it like I made a joke about doing a queer themed Saw movie. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for this to be real. Where's the script? you got to yeah. present it to me. I want to see it. Ja- Jesse, you have an assignment. You have yeah. I'll give a month to submit this to Lucia for approval. On yeah. top of the Fast and Furious shit? Yes. Yep. Yep, you got a month. That's all. That's all, Jet. All Just right, so happen. by September 12th, I need to have a queer-themed Saw fan film. Okay. You know and what? We... I think that's too generous of a time. If they could make Suicide Squad as fast as they did, I think um, you're going to have, like, a two-week. <laughs> you want a fucking <laughs> full... And, and we're talking full-length movie here, right? Like, not, not short film, but, like, yeah, no, the, full-length. The, the length of an average Saw film, basically. Yeah. Yep. 80 minutes. So 80 pages about. So 80. So in two weeks, you want 80 pages of a fucking soft. Can I at least have, can I at least get, can I at least have it that by two weeks, I need to have it like maybe partway done at least the point where it's clear. I have an idea where I'm going with this. Okay. Yes. But you have to start shooting immediately. So you'll just have to find the rest of the film as you go. Uh, which is how they filmed Suicide Squad. They didn't have a complete script when they started on the shit, I hope to- shit, I, shit, I hope Tobin Bell's available. Also, by studio mandate, Shia LaBeouf has to be in it. Good luck. I don't care if he doesn't fit in your vision. Make him fit. I'm sorry, who? Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf needs to be- 
actual you cannibal. You want me to work with a you want me to work with a dickhead? Uh we want you to work with an actual cannibal. <laughs> so uh I was gonna say, know. so so you need me to get Shia LaBeouf by studio mandate and I need to get told and I need to get Tobin Bell back from Jigsaw. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It all you just have to work it in, okay? Like this is what the studio wants. I know that it's a tight crunch. We don't care. If you don't finish the script, it's fine, but you start filming the next day. So like make it work. <laughs> Can I just take the original challenge of getting the script done in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Fans. Yeah, I'm just gonna make a fucking soft fan film. Try to make a queer themed, which I probably will, knowing me. So you're like, can I actually cast queer actors? And I'm like, <laughs> I only want. I'd be like, I'd only want one straight actor in a saw in a saw film, and that's Tobin Bell. Just get Jake Gyllenhaal back. He can play another gay character. <laughs> this is straight genocide. How dare you? <laughs> like, like uh, no, l- l- no. I'm imagining the outrage that I bring fucking Tobin Bell yet back, but like, no, no other actor is straight. And it's like, how dare you make Jigsaw the minority? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you make that bullshit philosophy spouting puppet man the minority? <laughs> so I think, I think what we've determined in this episode <laughs> is that Lucia needs to come back more. <laughs> Oh god. Because she's incredible. And we need to have it where Yes, where you can actually meet the demon. She's the demon's in the corner. She's a little so shy right now, you know. Just just kind of doing her thing. Um But I I think this episode is um and unfortunately coming to an end. I'm sad. <laughs> I'd well, stay here for hours, forever. but I think it's yep. it's time we should uh we should start to wrap things up. We will definitely have you back, Lucia. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you guys for, for talking to me. Sorry I talked so much. I had a lot to say about No, it's okay. You had a lot on your mind, and you, you <laughs> put it out there, and it's amazing. Um, and I will mention quickly that <laughs> this is the last episode that I'll be posting in my 20s. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Next week, I turn 30, so... Am I the youngest person of the three hosts? I just... <laughs> no, Liz, uh, Lizzie's younger than you. Oh, all right. She is, isn't she? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I the babby? <laughs> I am the I am the oldest. <laughs> just remember, Crystal, that you're not a true adult, according to Hobbits, until you're 33. So you got three more years of, like, youthful exuberance and all that left in you, so... Yeah, but I'm already exhausted. Listen, just eat all the food you want and go on adventures, okay? Because once you turn 33, oh. you got to get a hobbit job, okay? Eating food and going on adventures seems like fun. I wish there was no consequences to that. Me too, actually. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> I'm going to go on an adventure! I'm going to eat all of the food at the buffet! <laughs> this is my third breakfast. Damn it, I want to go to, damn it, I want to go to a buffet now, but it's... It's, we're at level five with COVID bullshit, so I shouldn't. Have you guys it. seen that meme I post all the time? And it's a picture of, God, I can't even say it without laughing, of Sauron with Pippin's face photoshopped on it. And he's holding a plate with breakfast food. And it says, but they were all of them deceived for a second breakfast was made. Damn it. <laughs> it's my favorite image in the entire universe. Please tell me you shared that with Marianne. <laughs> Oh, God, I've posted it so many times. She's definitely seen it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you. Uh, <laughs> definitely 
Okay, so uh, I think it's time for us to do plugs. So, uh, Lucia, where can the good people find you? Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lucia Lobos Via if you want to see me making dumb jokes and most recently uh, dunking on an anti-vaxxer who I don't think realized I had studied evolutionary biology so that um, he could not pull his little games with me because I knew exactly what I was talking about and he got very embarrassed and very angry <laughs> by the end of it. Um, of course they do. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me trying to explain to people who are mad about queer characters in DC that it's okay though, but they're right that DC is doing it wrong, but it's also okay that there's queer characters. So uh, you can find both. Um, you can also see me just talking about how uh, I love my dogs and life is a mess. So, and sometimes Catwoman videos, if you want to come see me cosplay Catwoman. Check, how about your TikTok, which is amazing Oh yeah, amazing I do too. have a TikTok. It's uh, Selena Kyle Wayne Calabrese. There's a lot of cosplayers that do her. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. I didn't even want to compete with all those beautiful women. So my character, the conceit of her is more that this is bored housewife Selena because she's in a serious relationship with Bruce and she's trying to learn how to do things like pack a lunch for Damien and she's like abysmal at it, but she's doing her best. Or like have the talk with Cass because Bruce can't handle having that talk with his daughter, his one daughter. And coming back and being like, yeah, um, no, she she knows what sex is, Bruce. You're kind of late. And he's like, What? no my baby she's like bruce chill out like pretty sure you didn't give a shit when it was the boys it's different wow sexism bruce nice like he's like no wait i uh. <laughs> uh, so oh, well, I, I always smile when i see your tiktoks come across my feed so definitely follow her there thank you so much oh. i um, and batman athenaeum if you want to athenaeum athenaeum i don't even know how to say it i write it um it's coming to we're, we're finishing up the season. Uh, so if you want to see a Batman show written by me and Jazzy is in it, she plays a uh, teen Harvey Dent and she plays uh, James Gordon Jr. Who in this continuity is actually anarchy. So if that intrigues you um, come check it out. Jazzy is phenomenal in it as are all of the VAs. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes. Carl Brooks plays Batman. Uh, you might know him as the voice of, uh, I think his name is ghost and ghost runner. Um, which is a video game that was really, really acclaimed because it came out during Cyberpunk's delay. So a bunch of people played that instead. And it was really, really uh, well received. Carl mm-hmm. is amazing in it and in everything he does. A uh, lot of really, really talented VAs all around. The the new VA we have for Talia, I am like in love with her. I'm also in love with our voice for Lady Shiva. Like so many just amazing VAs. So um, come check them out. Listen to them. Um and, you know, maybe you'll enjoy my writing while you're there. But even if you don't, hearing so many incredible VAs voice them is still very entertaining. So Awesome. You definitely should go check that out. And uh, Jazzy, you want to plug your stuff? You can find me, as usual, at Lady Jazzington on Twitter. And I'm going to do something different and say that you can find me in quite a few voice roles as well. As Lucia mentioned, I am the voice of young Harvey Dent and J- James Gordon Jr. and Batman Athenaeum. Athenaeum, I don't know how the fuck to pronounce it. No one gives me the script. <laughs> Someday, someday, Wilda. You can hear my voice in a variety of short animations, including a very recent one by SBN3 called Kids WB at at Best Buy. I played a sock. Um, And in terms of upcoming roles, you can hear me as the 
as the scholar as the scholarly flirt Aster in uh, <laughs> Eternal Winter, as well as a new character coming in the up for the upcoming DLC Scoutmaster season for the visual novel Camp Buddy, which is a Yaoi and it's 18 plus. So unless you're 18, don't fucking play it. I don't want to be responsible for any bullshit you get into for playing it when you're under 18. You fucking degenerates, <laughs> you Yaoi loving degenerates. <laughs> well, definitely. Take a look at Jazzy's stuff. And I am your host, Crystal Williams. You can follow me at Twitter at Crystal W Rocks. But I'm also a writer, so you can read my articles on Medium under Crystal Williams, where I talk about social issues and politics and all that good fun stuff that you love so much on the internet. Um, yeah, you could just listen to my voice here every week. I don't have anything better to do. I'm going to unfollow you both just so I can follow you both again and, and feel nice. the rest of following you guys again. Yes. So. Oh, hell yeah. And Lizzie, too. And I hope that she knows what I'm doing so she doesn't see it and go, wait, why? <laughs> why and I was also going to mention uh, to plug Lizzie. You can find Lizzie Lemon Drop, TikTok, Twitter, anywhere. Just follow her there. She couldn't be in this episode, but she should be back for the next one. So we love her as well. And send her my love. Yes, and I think that wraps up this week's episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. Thank you so much, Lucia, for being on. We love having you. And until next time, bye, everybody. Bye.